Hello and welcome to Inside EcoDevo, an economic development podcast helping Missourians prosper. On this episode, we're talking about the Business and Community Solutions Division. And sitting down with us is the director for BCS, Christina Carver. Christina, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Yes, super excited, Eric. I'm sure there's a lot to talk about with Business and Community Solutions, also known as BCS. But before we go down that road, if we could just get a little bit of background on you. How did you come to be division director for BCS? So um, it's not a super interesting story, but I am a lifelong Jefferson City resident with a small, small time living in the Kansas City area. But for most of my life, I worked in distribution, um, managing operations typically, or um, launching new facilities throughout the, the United States for distribution companies. And I wanted to change for my family something that I felt like was more centered on my state that I just love and I would probably never leave. So we spent a little bit of time looking at opportunities within the state and how I could impact the state. And I just happened to find an opening within DED. And within um, just a few short months, I took this position as division director for BCS. And it's been just kind of a whirlwind, but very exciting and just love working with the communities and the team. Yeah. So prior to that, you were kind of in the business realm and in some capacity. I think a lot of the guests that we've had on here are kind of in the same trajectory, I guess, like they found that that's the career path that they were going to go and they've been on it. So I guess what was the thing that kind of pulled you to that career path? I think for me, it was I kind of stumbled into it, to be quite honest. You know, I graduated, well, actually got my GED um, at 16 or 17. And then after that, I worked for an organization just frontline working in a a distribution center, picking product and shipping it out to customers. And that organization was just such a strong center for me. Um, And I worked with them for many years and they provided educational reimbursement. And at the time, I really had no clue like what I wanted to do. I just went through that generic business education through as I was working through college got my degree and just kind of stumbled into particularly quality, some customer service management, and then management of distribution centers and the fulfillment process. So as I did that, it was just, it felt natural for me. And I did it over 20 years working in those different arenas. As I got older, I wanted to be more involved in my state versus that private sector side. Okay. So it came on board with DED. Exactly. The rest was history. So Uh, Speaking about business and community solutions division, just in in general, what is that division? What do you guys do? Yeah, so the business and community solutions division, or BCS, we house many of the state's economic development tools and programs. And in close partnership with regional engagement, we work to develop solutions for business retention and expansion, redevelopment, and many other community development project types. So in BCS, our team We address those economic development challenges with a combination of our subject matter expertise and program administration, as well as creative problem solving. So oftentimes there might be a new program that comes in and we are the ones kind of digging into it in collaboration with other teams to find out what those guidelines and policies should look like and how we're going to administer that program over the life of it. I could be wrong here, but I believe BCS houses probably most, if not all of our programs. There's a few that are outside of that, like One Star and Broadband and things of that nature. But BCS handles the lion's share. You mentioned a few like redevelopment and all that, but what are the programs that you guys are tasked with administering? 
Yeah, so within our team, there are many programs and tools that we manage to address economic challenges within the redevelopment of communities, business growth and retention. Some of our more prominent programs include federally funded, such as CDBG or Community Development Block Grants and Missouri Community Service Commission, or also known as MCSC, which is the federal funding for our AmeriCorps program. The Community Development Block Grant Program is one of our largest RAN programs of the U.S. Department of Housing, or HUD, and it provides communities with funding to assist with housing, infrastructure, disaster recovery, mitigation, as well as some economic development. And at the state level, we administer what's called those non-entitlement communities, which are areas that include units of local government, general local government, that do not receive CDBG funds directly from HUD. Those non-entitlement areas are cities with populations of less than 50,000 and counties with populations of less than 200,000. And then the Missouri Community Service Commission strengthens Missouri's communities through volunteerism and service. Specifically, MCSC oversees the AmeriCorps state program, which invests funds and services for local communities. MCSC also helps our local organizations recruit, retain, and recognize volunteers. Each year, Missourians volunteer 3.2 billion worth of service and the Missouri Community Service Commission's goal is to help all those Missourians that know that they can volunteer in our state. In addition to those two federally funded programs, we administer over 30 state of Missouri programs that help to build and strengthen Missouri communities and job growth. We have three teams that manage these programs, our redevelopment, community, and business finance teams. And between these three teams, they manage a broad range of programs that include Missouri Works, Historic Preservation Tax Credit Programs, Brownfield Redevelopment, Youth Opportunity Programs, and as I said, many more, over 30. Yeah, so, I mean, BCS is our largest division, and it's the most diverse in what it does. And so you have to have a diverse team of people. You kind of touched upon the team, but can you kind of go in a little bit more depth about the team who is working behind the scenes to kind of get all this done? We do have that large, diverse team and services that we have to administer. And our primary focus is the administration and development of many of the programs that we administer. So one of the most rewarding aspects of our job, we get to see these projects from start to completion. In addition to that, we're building those relationships with communities and applicants throughout the state. So some of the work that goes into this administration includes working with stakeholders on applying to programs, helping ensure they have all the required materials to submit to a program, and that they meet those eligibility requirements. And then once we get those applications, our team is evaluating those for the impact on the communities they serve, as well as the state of Missouri, validating those results from the projects once they come to completion, and ensuring that we're always compliant to those guidelines um, and the governing bodies of the programs that we use. And then, of course, probably one of the other big aspects of what those teams do is providing that customer support as applicants are working through these programs and trying to meet all those different requirements and deadlines. So we do a lot of interaction with applicants and customers and communities to make sure that they understand what the expectations are and what the benefits will be to them. Again, it kind of breaks into those three groups, redevelopment, community, and business. With so many different types of programs that we have to work through, Our team has to really understand how those can be interconnected because sometimes we have applicants that will leverage more than one program at a time. Those three categories you just mentioned, redevelopment, community, and business, how do those fall under kind of the the blanket or the umbrella of economic development, quote unquote? 
So I think when we're we're thinking about different approaches to building the strength of the state, it, particularly when you're talking about economic development, really it's building up those communities, building up the infrastructure, building up businesses that will employ citizens within the state. And through these three groups, we're able to do that. In our redevelopment team, often the programs are focused on, you know, how can we turn this older building into something better or repurpose it that benefits the state of Missouri citizens. Within our community team, those programs are typically focused on what programs are going to help build the communities and neighborhoods, whether it's a youth opportunity program that provides assistance to mentoring or um, services to families that might not have them. And then in the business team, it's looking at that way to create the jobs that help people continue to build up their home and their life. I think those three fit together because oftentimes you're looking at how do we continue to maintain what currently exists? How do we build new? And then how do we manage the the social aspect or the people within the communities? Yeah, I think it's a lot of the kind of granular stuff that adds to the value of prosperity and things of that nature that maybe people don't readily think of that yeah. actually adds to the you know, economic development, prosperity of, of the state. Maybe yeah. that's not the, the right term no. way of saying that. But you know, when you give people opportunities to have a job, that feeds back into the, the economy. When you build up a derelict building or a group of them, that allows businesses to move in to then push economics forward. So it's like the granular stuff that, that adds to it, but may not be the front-facing thing that people normally think of, I'm guessing. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, like, even when you look at some of our federal programs, like MCSC, that's promoting that volunteerism, that is often some of the events or the the programs that participate in that. They offer services. For example, they were assisting with the flooding that occurred in St. Louis, and that was an important piece of being responsive to the community needs and making sure that they're able to work forward and, and work through those events as they occur. So I think a lot of the programs we have try to identify different barriers at those different types of needs within community, whether it be from a social impact to responsiveness to something that wasn't expected to occur, or whether it's helping bring a new business in that's going to supply jobs to that community and to those families to better their lives. Yeah, because I guess without the community, there's no one there to, exactly. to help the yeah. economy. So yeah, that's a good point. So kind of taking a, a slight step back, we were, we were talking about a lot of the different programs like CDBG, NAP, YOP. Those are things that we featured on past episodes. So if didn't check those out, go and uh, listen to those if those are of interest. But uh, one of the programs that we have, and I think it's one of the biggest incentive programs we have is Missouri Works. And that's not something we've touched upon yet on this podcast or any of the other episodes. Can we dive a little bit into that and talk about Missouri Works? What is it? What's the purpose? Yeah, absolutely. You're 100% right. Uh, Missouri Works is our number one incentive tool within our business finance group. They work in collaboration with regional engagement. This incentive tool is used to promote the expansion and retention of businesses within the state of Missouri. Missouri Works really helps businesses access capital through withholdings or tax credits to encourage facility expansion and job creation. There are multiple sub-programs to Missouri Works that allow businesses to really find the best fit for their organization, depending on their forecasted job creation or the average range of those jobs that they're going to be creating, as well as what private capital investment they're going to be able to make in that project. 
The range of, of eligibility requirements for these subprograms include two to 100 new jobs created with an average wage range of 80 to 140 percent of that average of the county. And then any new private capital investment for these subprograms can be anywhere from zero to $100,000 or more. So depending on the subprogram leveraged by the business, they could realize anywhere from five to six years of retention of the state withholding tax for those new jobs that they're creating in the program. And larger projects could include up to six or 7% of their new payroll and tax credits for the next five to six years. So with this range kind of of the sub programs that we offer in Missouri Works, we can really look at different opportunities and options to help support these businesses grow within the state, whether it's a, a new business wanting to come in and start operations within the state of Missouri or it's a smaller business that's wanting to expand their production and they're going to increase their jobs by a couple, um, we have a lot of different options on what we can look at and how we can potentially serve their business. Okay. A couple of things I want to dive a little deeper into with what you were saying there. About ballpark, how many businesses in Missouri are currently utilizing Missouri Works? Would you know? It ranges every year as we have people fluctuating in and out of the program. But I think we currently have somewhere around 300 active projects. And again, that changes daily as people yeah. enter and um, come out of the program. But it's usually somewhere anywhere from the 250 to 300 organizations within there. And any size business can can use this, like a small business, medium business, yeah. large business? Does Absolutely. The main thing is really looking at what project they're going to be undertaking. So again, if they're in a specific area, some of the different subprograms have requirements regarding um, maybe if they're in a rural area or a specific zone within the state um, that's been identified through different mapping initiatives or programs. But if they meet those requirements of where they're at and then the investment that they're making within to the project to create those new jobs, then that'll determine what access they have or what availability of benefits they have. Are you able to share like maybe a good example of a business that has used it recently that people are like, oh, they're using it. Maybe I should, too. And if you don't have that data, I'll, I don't I'll have it, it was, with me. OK, it was just something that sparked in my head. And I was like, oh, that could be a good pitch. OK, uh, one last thing on Missouri Works before we kind of move on. Since you guys work so closely with the businesses and you kind of see their process through a lot of these programs, what kind of feedback do you guys get? from businesses that use Missouri Works based on the incentive benefit do they get? They get a kickback on the incentives for tax and stuff. And how does that aid that business going forward since they're getting a little bit back for them? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, an organization that's maybe just participating with withholdings, being able to retain those employee withholdings based on a project for a couple employees, that money is then something that they're able to use to reinvest into the organization and make sure that, you know, they're able to really flesh out that project or build out that team. And it gives them that step up to ensure that they're able to continue that project. Um, and I think it's usually very vital for some small organizations. You know, there is definitely some reporting requirements that can sometimes feel like a lot. And that's where our team steps in and we offer support to organizations that maybe aren't used to having those employee records. So when it's a smaller business that's trying to expand they'll find that as they get into the program, you know, I have to report annually a list of this information so that I can make sure that I'm retaining the appropriate amount. And our team will work hard with them to make sure that they understand those requirements and they meet any deadlines that, that we have to manage based on those guidelines and requirements. 
but I think that the biggest thing is just making sure they're collaborative with us so that they can realize the full benefit of the project that they're, they're trying to manage. Missouri Works is one of those things that I'm just trying to think because, you know, in the comms team, we put out all the emails and the social posts about what's going on and this, that, and the other. And, you know, we promote things like CDBG or awards for NAP, YOP, and Missouri Works, I don't think really gets a lot of spotlight, but it's the number one incentive tool that we have. So I just wanted to kind of do a little oh, yeah, dive absolutely. on that. So. Okay, so we touched upon a few programs that you guys are administering. I think like the big ones, CDBG, Missouri Works, all that stuff. Any other programs uh, that are on offer that are being heavily used or maybe ones that people don't know about but are very useful that they should take a part in? Probably one of the biggest programs we currently administer outside of Missouri Works is in within our redevelopment team, and it's in partnership with the State Historic Preservation Office, and that is the Historic Preservation Tax Credit Program. And our state program is very similar to the federal program, but this Historic Preservation Tax Credit Program incentivizes developers to maintain the integrity of Missouri's historic buildings by rehabilitating them and often breathing that new life and purpose into these buildings. These properties often are converted for commercial or residential uh, property, and they hold a real connection to the past that instills a sense of culture in the neighborhood. So the Historic uh, Preservation Tax Credit Program provides state tax credits equal to 25% of eligible costs and expenses for the rehabilitation of these approved historic structures. And it's often, again, paired with that federal program. So what you find often in historic revitalization is these buildings require a little bit more cost to redevelop because you can't just put any type of window in it or you can't just paint the outside any way you want. There's requirements based on the Secretary of State standards that they have to meet. And so the building these historic buildings back up often requires a higher capital investment or investment by the developer. And so these credits often offset that additional cost so that we can continue to maintain these beautiful buildings that hold such a rich culture and sense of who the state is or that community where they came from. This is a really, really sought after program often throughout the state of Missouri. We have a lot of engagement from our stakeholders and we love the collaboration on it. As an example of how this could be used, would Buildings such as, you know, the governor's mansion or like downtown Jeff City, there's a lot of kind of like historic buildings that still have the same look as they did like eons ago. Would those type of buildings fall under this or is it something different? Um, Slightly different. So a great example of one of the buildings that I have personally got to go see and um, just loved what they've done with it is in St. Louis. There's the city foundry and is this mixed use space that is just it's just, it used to be um, an old foundry in St. Louis, and they were able to revitalize this into just this wonderful gathering place. And they have just these great events that occur, and it's it's a gathering place for the community that once was not necessarily somewhere you were going to go. <laughs> it was a foundry. By them changing what the purpose of that historic building, instead of it being torn down and us losing all of that history and um, richness of the culture of that area, they were able to repurpose it, turn it into this gathering place that has eateries and event centers and just different things that are occurring. It's just a wonderful example of of how this tax credit program can turn something that maybe is, is not necessarily very attractive or isn't something that we can really 
promote in the state to something that breathes new life into that community and provides an experience that we wouldn't have had otherwise. There's tons of, of different historical places throughout the state that have leveraged this tax credit program. We are very engaged with our stakeholders to make this the best that it can be. So buildings that are typically on the decline that yes. we don't want to lose. Yes. And okay. again, usually there's there's a considerable investment for developers to come in and turn that around for that building and, and turn it from something that maybe isn't purposeful at the time to something that is. I know the requirements and who typically uses these programs is different from program to program. But generally speaking, who are these programs, whether it's CDBG, NAP, Missouri Works, HTC, all those things, who are they typically designed for? You know, with over 30 programs that we right, manage, yeah. there's, there's definitely a broad range. My team works closely with consultants that are helping applicants to different programs. We also work with developers who are wanting to redevelop areas that, and that might not be if we didn't have some of these programs available. We work with businesses as they're trying to build up different expansion or retention within the state. We also work with nonprofits for our YOP and NAP programs. And those are, you know, typically what we'll find is those are programs where they're offering mentoring services or maybe some training type of projects that they're wanting to help support through tax credits. We also work with different programs that are not for profit for MCSC. We work with communities directly who are doing infrastructure projects or different regional community groups. We also deal with everyday citizens. We have our neighborhood preservation tax credit program and very similar to HTC, that program allows residents to revitalize their historic home and they can ask for tax credits based on the rehabilitation of that project. So again, it could go from a private citizen who's just coming in and looking for some sort of assistance in revitalizing something in their area all the way to communities or to um, not-for-profits. Okay. Yeah. I was curious if like somebody had a home from like 1920 and like, oh, it's falling apart. I don't want to lose it. Could they come to you? And that's great that they yeah. can. They can. So Absolutely. Great. Okay, so at the top of, you know, the episode when we started recording, you were mentioning the partnership that you guys have with Regional Engagement Division. Can you kind of go into that, talk about how that works and how the partnership handles, you know, business expansion and retention and all that stuff? Yeah, we do have a really strong relationship with Regional Engagement. They are such an imperative piece to what my team does. Oftentimes, they have a strong awareness of the communities that we're working with, they have a strong awareness of the businesses that are wanting to um, work within those communities, and they have a sense of what's going on to those specific areas. And since my team is dealing with those applicants as we administer the programs, oftentimes we can rely on the regional engagement team to help us understand different circumstances or um, maybe some way that we can adjust what we're doing or offer a different program that really meets the needs that they're looking for. I think that it's, you know, it, they're often that boots on the ground out there seeing what's really happening and my team can, can speak with them and kind of get an understanding in that collaboration of what we can provide that's going to really assist the community or a business and help bring the best opportunities to those people that are interested in the programs we provide. It is definitely a daily collaboration. <laughs> and so, it, you know, we, we wouldn't be nearly as strong without that team support and being able to, to lean on them to really have that understanding of what's going on out there. 
And the programs that you guys are collaborating with, what programs are those typically? Well, really, it's it's limitless. So oftentimes the, they might come to um, myself or somebody else within the team and say, hey, you know, I have somebody who's wanting to do this, but I don't know what really fits. And sometimes they, they might be able to find that through the resources and tools we have on a website. But other times they might just want to have a quick meeting and say, listen, this is what they're trying to achieve. What do we have that could meet those needs? And oftentimes our team will come together and we'll talk about the different programs we have. Some of those programs can work really nicely together. Um, and some of those don't allow us to have what we, you might consider a duplication of benefits from some project or activities. So we're able to really look at what's the best package and the best thing that we can offer to someone or an organization to meet those needs. I would say definitely the the programs we most leverage um, and that collaboration is like Missouri Works and CDBG is sometimes involved as well. But really, it could be any of those programs that we have available. We've often found that there are things that we didn't realize could work together in partnership. And then through those conversations, we're able to look for a really good, robust package that meets the needs of the community. Yeah, okay. So anything happening in the current moment that is exciting or up and coming stuff, whether that's a program that just opened a new cycle for application or anything of that nature? I would say right now, probably the big buzz in BCS is um, the HTC Improvement Initiative that we've been doing. So that historic preservation tax credit we talked about. As I said, we have a lot of engagement from our stakeholders. And it's just been amazing to watch as that team has worked in collaboration with the State Historic Preservation Office to look for ways that we can improve that program. So, you know, taking a lot of focus groups with our applicants and then working to identify some of the themes within their concerns or the things that haven't been super easy to navigate as they're in that program. It has just been wonderful to, to get the insights and then for us to think of solutions that will hopefully ease the burden of the applicants as well as the teams to make sure that we're providing the best customer service we can. The main goal of this initiative is to have about a 20% reduction in that cycle time for applicants. Um, we've seen because these projects are typically more multiple years, it does have to meet those rehabilitation standards. So what typically will happen for an applicant is they'll submit what's called a preliminary application. And that application is reviewed to evaluate what their scope of work is, how they're going to revitalize or rehabilitate that building. And then once we've approved it on the DED side and said, you know, it, it meets the requirements, they have the right investment or they have the right systems in place, we will then send it to the State Historic Preservation Office who evaluates, okay, are they meeting those rehabilitation guidelines? Are they making the right decisions in regarding how they're going to rehab this building? Once they've reviewed it, it comes back to DED for us to authorize or approve the project. Um, and then the project goes into that rehabilitation phase where they're working to do what they said they were going to do in the application for the building. And that can take a, a few years depending on the project. Once they've done that, they come back to the team at that point, and that's when they're putting in a final application and saying, okay, here's what I said I would do, and here's what I did, and here's the cost that I incurred. Then it would go through us. We would evaluate the cost. The State Historic Preservation Office would be validating that the work was done, met the standards that they had said they were going to meet, and then we would be able to authorize it. Well, we have found in the past that this entire process, whether it's a preliminary application but primarily at the final application was taking over a year. So that meant that our customers or stakeholders 
were waiting a year to be issued those tax credits that they had for rehabilitating that building. And as you know, anytime you're investing in a project like this, like time is money. And so that's a, that's a huge hit to take. So our stakeholders vocalized to us their concerns and we have been spending um, the last like nine months to a year working through their feedback, their suggestions, and looking at ways that we can improve that process and reduce that timeline by at least 20% at minimum. We're hoping to get much better, but we'll see as that program wraps up and how much of an impact we can have on that time. You were kind of listing out the process. Yeah. I was just thinking, I was like, wow, this is kind of a long process. It and is. so it's, it's great that you guys are taking that that initiative to, to make it better for the end customer. That's great. And just to be clear, like that's the high level stuff. There's way more in the weed stuff that we have to go through. So, (laughs) but that's just a taste of what the team gets to, to experience through these projects. Well, I feel like we've covered quite a bit on BCS and I feel like there could be even more to cover, but I'll just open the floor to you before I get to my last question to wrap us up here. Anything about BCS that you think people should know or, you know, maybe a, a call to action on businesses to use the programs that aren't using it? floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. I would just really stress to anyone, if you have a project or something that you think you could use a little support from the state, definitely feel comfortable in reaching out to our team, regional engagement or the BCS team. We're definitely here to serve citizens in the state of Missouri. So we are just ready and willing to help try to find some solutions for them, or at least get them in the right direction if we aren't the right answer. Well, Christina, as you know, the motto of our department is helping Missourians prosper. So how does the work that BCS and the team behind that work, how does all that help fulfill that motto? I think in the BCS division, the way that we are helping Missourians prosper is through our dedication to our customers and to our state, looking at ways that we can find solutions and processes that support the expansion and the growth within the state, and just making sure that we're always focused on our citizens and the folks that we are serving. I think that's the biggest way that we're helping is through that community, the redevelopment, and the business aspects. Okay. Well, I said it at top, and I'll say it again. Thank you for taking the time and giving us all this great information. Uh, Hopefully, there's a business out there that, you know, learned something new, or if they're already using these programs, that, you know, reinvigorated them to keep, keep using it. So thank you very much, Christina. No, thank you, Eric. I appreciated you letting me be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Eco Devo. We have great episodes coming your way every two weeks, so be sure to subscribe. Also, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Tell us what economic development topics you want to hear more about. This helps us fulfill our motto of helping Missourians prosper by bringing content to our listeners that they want to hear. Leave a comment on an episode or send an email to ded.communications at ded.mo.gov and stay tuned for more Inside Eco Devo.